Welcome to the show. I am your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, and you're listening to On The Clock. On The Clock is a venture with the Strategos Podcast Network, where we feature an array of guests to dive into all things education. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back to On The Clock with Todd Dallas-Lamb. Today, we are On The Clock with Dr. Stephen Murley from Green Bay Area Public School District. Did I say that correctly, Stephen? You sure did. Well, thank you for being on the show. We are really excited to have you on. Uh, We have been talking to district superintendent leadership the last month uh, from places like Dallas, uh, from places like Pittsburgh, and Pleasanton, California. And today we get to talk to a sort of new superintendent from Green Bay. Uh, congratulations on your new gig. Uh, I believe you started last July, is that correct? July 1st, right in the middle of the pandemic. Well, let's talk about that for a second because this has sort of been pandemic education podcast talk and why not? It's it's all anybody is really talking about. And I, you are the first one that we've spoken to, first superintendent, first education leader, who actually changed from one district to another right smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. I, I can only imagine what it's like to be the new guy in a district where all the same debates that we've been having nationally over whether kids should be in school or not, whether teachers unions want to do it, whether parents want to put their kids in some do some don't. What was it like being the new guy in that atmosphere? Well, one thing that, that might be a little different than some other uh, newbies coming in on, on July 1st is that uh, this is year 16 in the uh, superintendent seat for me. Uh, and before the 10 years that I was in Iowa City, I was actually in a district about an hour and a half down the road here. So uh, although things change a lot in a decade, uh, uh, one of the area service agency directors when I uh, left the state uh, was the, uh, is the governor now that I returned. Uh, and so there are some familiar faces. Uh, I know how the legislature works. I know how the budget works. Uh, so that certainly uh, gave me a leg up. Of course, I was anticipating when I took the job that was going to give me a significant leg up. Uh, and coming in in the middle of a pandemic, maybe it uh, allowed me to keep my head above the water. But, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the role that uh, I, uh, this whole uh, pandemic played in changing uh, the world of education. And I can tell you that coming in in the middle of it and, and grabbing the baton from the retiring superintendent uh, and figuring out how to take the end of the last school year uh, and then move into the start of the school year was uh, an incredible lift. Uh, great team here, but uh, I, to go from, you know, we knew we had to close down the state issued an edict to what do we do in the fall uh, was, was a lot of work in a very short period of time. I can only imagine, I would imagine, even though you had the, the background of, of knowing the state and knowing the politics, which is always such a underappreciated aspect of your job is understanding the politics of your own district. I imagine that you spent a lot of time just listening in the first few months. I did. And I tell you what, it's hard to listen when the only way you can do it is on these tiny little one inch uh, screens, yep. right? Uh, you know, I, I couldn't do... Uh, what you normally would have done on a on a on an entry tour into a school district. I didn't spend any time at coffee houses. I didn't spend any time at elementary school playgrounds. I I wasn't at Rotary. I didn't go to Kiwanis, uh, and so I I had to really rely on people in the district and uh, folks that I knew from Green Bay uh, from a decade ago to try to get me introduced to people. 
Uh, and uh, the trust capital that you need to make really difficult decisions in the middle of some type of catastrophe like this pandemic has been, uh, I had none of that. Uh, and, and you certainly can't develop that in one or two months over Zoom meetings. And so uh, as a district, when we made the decision to start online and stay online, uh, it generated lots of angst uh, in the community among staff and students and families, but also just among community members and, and business owners. And I didn't have any of those relationships to trade on uh, when, I, when I had to work through that. How about, like, for example, did when you were fully online, were, were you allowing athletics to take place? And, and where are you now? Are you, are you back in, in the classroom and in some capacity? So I'll start with where we were, uh, but I'll share one tidbit for you. Uh, I've not in my career uh, had to send front-end loaders out onto football fields before, uh, but uh, rather than playing sports in the fall, our state athletic association allowed us to uh, uh, move those uh, seasons and drop them in between the winter and the spring season. Um, so we're actually, along with about uh, uh, two-thirds of the other districts in the state of Wisconsin, we're playing football now instead of playing it in the fall. So uh, when we started fully online, everybody online, uh, no extracurriculars, nobody in the buildings with the exception of uh, teachers who didn't have adequate internet access at home, they were allowed to teach from school. But other than that, uh, we had everybody offsite. Uh, and today um, we are back to uh, all students are in school full-time, but for us full-time is four days a week. Uh, because as we transitioned back, one of the things that we heard really clearly from students and families was they didn't want new teachers. They developed a relationship, you know, albeit it's over this remote uh, platform, but they all developed a relationship with their teacher and nobody wanted to lose their teacher. Uh, and so our teachers are in a, a semi kind of high flex mode right now where they've got those students that are present in their classroom uh, four days a week. But then they also have uh, up to 20 percent of their kids that are online. Uh, and they're coming in remotely uh, into class each day. So uh, we use our Wednesdays for small group uh, and individual uh, connections with teachers and to provide them some extra prep time uh, to work with the students in both modalities. So the front end loaders were used to remove, I'm guessing, snow from the football yeah. field? They were plowing our fields to start the season this year. And I have to assume that high school football in Green Bay, Wisconsin, is is every bit as big a deal uh, as professional football to the folks that live there. Yeah, football's a big deal here in Green Bay. So uh, making sure that we could get our kids on the uh, out on the competitive field, was a, that was one of the main reasons that we decided not to play in the fall. Uh, and uh, there were a lot of schools, uh, about a third of the schools in the state that did play in the fall. Uh, and many of them suffered through isolation and quarantine issues, which prevented them from playing. Uh, so we were really hoping that we'd be kind of at the point we are today where the vaccination rates are higher and, and some of the restrictions are a little bit less and that we would have a much better likelihood of getting our kids through the season. So um, one of the longest running uh, football rivalries in the state of Wisconsin is Green Bay East versus Green Bay West. Um, they were able to play it uh, this last weekend. Uh, exciting game wound up 15 to 14. Can't beat that in high school football. You know, it, if anything, I've, I've tried to take away some positives from the last year. And, and one of them is an appreciation of, of just how wonderful it is to go watch kids play athletics and to see the, the need that they have to do that. My own son uh, plays soccer and watching him not being able to do that, staying in his room, it really does have an effect on these kids, doesn't it? 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you from a personal perspective, my youngest kid graduated last year uh, and I was down in Iowa City and uh, soccer is a spring sport uh, in Iowa. And uh, they'd finished as runners up uh, in the state championship the year before. Uh, so obviously they were gunning for an incredible season. And then March 13th arrived and, and uh, uh, their tryouts were scheduled to start on uh, Monday, the 16th of March. And here's dad, the superintendent, um, shutting everything down. So <laughs> my son lost his senior soccer season and it yep. was devastating in our household. So when I think about it, I, uh, you know, what, what I picture in my head is the experiences that we had in our house at the dinner table, sitting down and working through that. And, and it was a major social emotional, uh, uh, blow to him. And so that was first and foremost front and center, uh, in my mind, when I, I was sitting there in the fall and looking at what was going on and said, Hey, if you can buy me three or four months for us to get this under control so we can get kids back out on the field, I'll, I'll plow snow uh, off fields in the spring to get kids out there and play. How messy and political did it get with parents lobbying for whatever they might've been lobbying for? I'm sure that maybe even they're still doing that in, in, in previously in Iowa and now in Wisconsin. What? Were parents really uh, getting active in that regard and Facebooking and all that stuff that parents do? Yeah, there's a big nationwide network uh, of open fill in the blank here. It's open GB uh, Facebook pages and, and uh, you know, the Internet being what it is, they do a great job uh, um, connecting with each other uh, and building that network of support for their uh, their cause. And they were very, very active here in Green Bay, um, pushing really, really hard for us to open sooner rather than later. Uh, and you understand it. I mean, if you're a, a parent and you're at home and you're watching your kids struggle, uh, whether it's academically or social emotionally, and you have a reference point of what it was like last year and the success that they were having in school, uh, you know, that the idea that if I can just get them back to where they were, that we can start to experience some of that same success again is a powerful driver. Uh, and, you know, I always tell parents they are the first and best advocate for their children. I certainly don't begrudge it um, when they push their issues uh, hard because that's where the meaning is for them. Uh, and, and we did. We had a, a very large group of parents that wanted their kids back in school sooner. We also had a large group of parents that were very, very worried about the health of their kids. Uh, you know, when you think about Green Bay, uh, you may not know it too well, but um, uh, we have a, a large, large Hispanic population here. We're about 35% uh, Caucasian, about 65% um, Black Indigenous students of color. Uh, and uh, we've got a large Hispanic population that was very, very fearful of having their kids back in school. And so um, we had a little push-pull going on with that. I can only imagine the the dynamics. It's funny how it all breaks down. We, and we all live it every day. We, we know the, the friend of ours who doesn't want to come anywhere near um, anybody forever. In fact, my, one of my best friends, his wife last night went to dinner for the very first time in one year. Meanwhile, I know for a fact that her husband has been to like a hundred dinners in the last year, right? Like we all have these little internal battles and it, it, it plays out in your school districts across the country uh, in, in ways that for a superintendent, it really gets down to your ability, as I said before, to listen, but also to communicate in a way that just doesn't drive both sides crazy. I mean, I think that probably is your greatest skill in a situation like that is just pure communication, isn't it? 
It is. And it's trying to help people understand that if I'm meeting your needs, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not able to meet somebody else's needs. And uh, you know, that's how we wound up ending at this compromise that said, hey, I know you want your kids back in five days a week. I know you want your kids fully online. Neither one of you want to lose your teachers. We understand the role that that uh, bond plays between the student and the teacher. So where do we find some kind of middle ground uh, that ensures that, that each of you at least get some and as much of what you want as possible, recognizing that uh, you're not going to get everything that you want because I can't do that for everybody. And um, walking them through that, I'll, I'll be honest with you, we had we had some four-hour listening posts with the board. We had some four to five-hour board meetings where we had multiple uh, callers uh, and, and very emotional tears, anger, uh, all of the things that you would associate with this and helping your board negotiate through that. I've had, I've got new board members. I have a three new board members and I, uh, you know, you come in, you talk about coming in new as a superintendent, imagine coming in new as a board member and uh, how do I deal with all of these emotional parents and, and uh, how can I help meet their needs? And so uh, learning to work through that uh, is a difficult process when things are normal and when things are in a pandemic, it's, it's even more of a challenge. And so listening and communicating. Yep. So now that we move into what we hope is a summer of normalcy, do you have plans to actually do what you were supposed to do in the first place, come in, organize uh, and execute a plan uh, that you had for the district, whether that be to continue what was working before and maybe put your own spin on some new ideas? Uh, what, 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 look, what does the summer look like for you as you plan what I hope to be a, a year of normalcy? I sure hope it is a new normal. And it's interesting because I, I joke with folks that uh, it feels like uh, every day I'm the new kid at school uh, <laughs> because uh, you know, I'm meeting new people that I haven't physically met every day. Uh, and uh, one of the things that we're doing is uh, we've got a board retreat coming up in May where we're talking about um, some of the strategic planning initiatives that we need to get rolling in the district. Normally, I would have done this last August. Yep. Uh, and so you're right. It, it's it's almost a reset button on some of those things that um, I know from the interview process are things that we need to work on here that uh, in a in a normal transition process, I would have spent this year working on them. And we spent this year doing other things uh, and not that that's good or bad. It's just that's what happened. Uh, and so now it's an opportunity for us to push that reset button and get back to work. You're going to get a, probably a good chunk of this federal money that's coming down the pike. What what have you learned and, and what have you heard in the last you know nine months that's going to inform how you spend that money? Is it going to be on things you already have that maybe there was a lack of funding from the state level before and you're going to cover it that way? Or is there something out there big where you're like, man, well, I know we need this because uh, I just had an interview couple of weeks ago where they now know, you know, some, as you mentioned, something like 20% of kids are going to demand to have school virtually for the time being for the foreseeable future. That could be a new reality in education and you're going to probably have to plan for that. Absolutely. So we're really fortunate because of the distribution mechanism, which is on that title one formula. Uh, so green Bay stands to get about $70 million between now and uh, September 30th of, uh, of 2024. Uh, so we are indeed uh, starting a brand new pre-K to five uh, virtual elementary school. We plan to scale that up through middle school and high school as we move forward. But we're going to have the pre-K five uh, program up and ready to go uh, in the fall. There's another option you have here in the district for online and uh, the middle and high school grades. It's not quite the same, but it'll give us a, a place for those kids who want to be online 
at the secondary level. Um, we plan on four years worth of a uh, um, super summer school. Uh, we're we're going to go uh, eight to five. We've got uh, academic and enrichment opportunities for students, breakfast, lunch, dinner, wraparound care for them. Uh, because we also recognize that, you know, schools, uh, and we've learned this uh, intimately during the pandemic, um, we are an integral part of the successful functioning of the, the world of work and business. And uh, we can be there this summer to help parents as they are transitioning back into the workforce by providing that all-day support for their students. We can help those kids get back on track academically and social-emotionally. Uh, and and so that's uh, that's a service and a uh, a benefit that the district can provide to the community at whole, uh, as a whole. And so we're looking at that uh, literally over the course of the next four summers, uh, using that for academic acceleration and also uh, uh, family support. When I think about pre-K, I really think about reading. Um, and help me out if I'm wrong here. I mean, I, I feel like where we lose students is in that that middle middle school area where if you can't read by middle school, you have zero academic confidence. And the, from what I've been told by the experts is that kindergarten is, is receiving a lot of students who don't even, who've never been read to, who don't understand that the sentence starts on the left and ends on the right. Is that, is that when you think about pre-K, is that what you think about? I'm sure there's some numerical work that can be done for a four-year-old. You know, counting is important, but you can read and write in this country. You can do pretty well. Absolutely. That literacy and the, the, the basic skill set uh, is so incredibly important. And I think that uh, one of the challenges that we're going to have, and you can certainly understand this one, is if you're a parent and you had a child that was eligible for pre-K last year, you might have said, I'm not sure I want my four-year-old in online pre-kindergarten. And so you chose to keep them out. Well, if pre-K is not mandatory, which in most states it's not, for you to enter kindergarten, you'll be sending a child to kindergarten this year who didn't have a pre-K experience. So we're going to have a, a pretty significant challenge with our kindergarten students. Um, some states, kindergarten is not required. Uh, and we have parents who decided not to send their child to kindergarten for the same reason. Five years old, I don't want them online all day. Very understandable. Uh, but those students may be progressing to first grade from an age-based standpoint if kindergarten is not required in their state. So we've got uh, an enormous challenge for us, not just with our pre-Kers, and I'll come back to that question, but also in Kers and first graders this uh, next school year who may have a significant literacy uh, deficit. Uh, for the kids that are coming into pre-K, uh, um, uh, in terms of making sure that we're focusing on the right things, you're absolutely uh, correct in your assertion on that reading. You know, the axiom is um, learn to read grades K to three, read to learn three to 12. Uh, and so we've got a, a small window to make sure that students' skill sets are such that they can take advantage of our curriculum as they move through it. I'm reminded um, my own son, who's now 18 years old and in college, like I think you're, you said yours just entered college, correct? Um, they both missed out on that senior year. His in three, his three-year-old experience in pre-K, he got to select the school that he wanted to, ended up being a Hebrew school. And, and quick hint, I'm not Jewish, neither is my wife. Um, so we got to learn about all, all manner of Judaism for two years in his preschool experience. And guess what? He's 
he's a chemistry student now. So something worked out for him along the way. Um, Last big question. Tell me what I need to know about Green Bay. I I only know about the football. It seems like a really um, close knit community. The meat packers created the football team, at least started it. That that had to be a unique uh, sort of team building experience for that community that remains to this very day. The, the love that they have for that football team. Tell me a little bit more about green Bay that I don't know. Sure. And you know what, uh, while you're talking football, just a reminder for those who aren't football fans out there, it is the only NFL franchise uh, that is owned by the community. So you can actually buy a share in the Packers and be a shareholder. Uh, and so it is a team that uh, literally is the community. Uh, and I think that that is a, a great representation. I tell people it's the biggest small town you can live in. Uh, for those of you who aren't uh, not doing your geography today, it's uh, uh, we're nestled at the, uh, the bottom of Green Bay, which is uh, a, a large body of water connected to Lake Michigan. Um, we've got lots and lots of ship traffic here. Um, as you indicated, there's still a lot of meat packing here. Um, a lot of manufacturing. Uh, many of the paper products that you use come right out of uh, uh, right out of Green Bay, uh, but uh, very very close knit community. Uh, the only place I've ever lived uh, and worked where I actually have two of my high school principals who graduated from the high schools where they are now principal. Uh, wow! So yes, a lot of longitudinal connection in town. Uh, I was told when I came here, um, don't forget when you're talking to people they're probably related to most of the rest of the community. Uh, so uh, it's, it's really neat because, you know, one of the things about that that's different, I've, I've lived in some communities where there's a lot more uh, mobility. Uh, and here, uh, going full circle back to your first question, I was able to leverage that because um, I could say to, to somebody, hey, um, I know that uh, your mom is this, your sister is that, your brother is that, your in-law is over here. Can you help me get connected with them? Uh, and, and when you're in a pandemic, um, that's often the quickest pathway to get to city council, county board of supervisors, the head of the boys and girls club, you name it. Uh, and so that worked, that small town aspect worked really well for me when I came in. Well, welcome home, Stephen Murley, uh, superintendent of the Green Bay Area Public School System. Stephen, tell uh, our listeners if they wanted to get a hold of you, either by email or Twitter, what's a, what's a good way to reach out? Oh, uh, why don't we do email? That's uh, super easy. It's SF as in San Francisco, M-U-R-L-E-Y at G-B-A-P-S dot org. Don't say San Francisco while you're in Green Bay at the Qantas <laughs> Club meetings. Just, <laughs> just a, that's a free tip. That's a free tip. Stephen, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We really appreciate you being on and we wish you all the best of luck as you finish out this year and start planning for normalcy for the next year. Thank you. If you want to learn more about the show, please visit www.strategosgroup.com. Please consider subscribing on your podcast streaming platform so you don't miss out on our next episode. And until next time, I'm Todd Dallas Lamb, signing off.